Welcome to the Garden Culture Podcast hosted by me, Bailey Van Tassel. I'm a self-taught gardener, busy wife and mother, and small business owner on a mission to live a garden-inspired life. Each month, we will explore what's going on in the garden and fields, as well as get to know incredible people who infuse their own lives with the magic of the garden. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned here, please visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Garden Culture Podcast. This is me, Bailey Van Tassel, and it's a late night edition, (laughs) Um, basically meaning that my family is sleeping while I record this because, as you guys know, I have three kids ages six and under, and it's just a busy time. Um, But there's been something on my mind that I wanted to dig into as I feel just this pull and also a deep desire for more information in this regard. So this episode, I'm actually going to talk about how to become more of a suburban homesteader. So how to take steps in the direction of becoming more self-sufficient, more self-reliant, And even going beyond the garden and just growing your own food, replacing the grocery store, but now crossing over into other arenas, be it bread baking or buying in bulk, deep freezing, just kind of taking everything to the next level as I feel like it's very gardening adjacent, if not totally tied together. And I get a lot of questions and interest over on my Instagram about this. So um, it's actually, I'll share an interesting story. I recently had the health department called on me, thanks to a stranger on the internet, who had, she had seen me share a reel about making a charcuterie board out of a piece of like a slice of log. And I was using the charcuterie board for this fundraising event with my girlfriends where all of us basically chip in to raise money for the school, for our kids. And it's just like, it's people we know. It's all just for fun. But I made these charcuterie boards. My stepdad literally like sawed these log slices off of our property. And I just quickly sanded them down with an orbital sander and then sealed them with polyurethane. First and foremost, bad move. I totally get it. There are better things to seal porous wood with that are not toxic, like beeswax or I don't even know, like linseed oil. There's mineral oil for like actual cutting boards, but these boards needed some sort of a finish that would keep food from like seeping into the wood. Granted, these boards were really for just this lesson I was teaching on how to create a beautiful charcuterie board, all cold food, and really like a temporary kind of a quick fix. Um, It is not, I don't want to say on brand, but it's just not within my value set really to use anything toxic if I can avoid it. I mean, everything in moderation, but like I would never put friends or family in jeopardy. I would never knowingly use a toxic product. I actually did do my research on using this polyurethane, but it created some controversy. And so a woman commented 
on my Instagram reel that she does cancer research and she's astounded that I would subject people to something that could cause them cancer. And um, she was really upset by this and decided I needed to be turned into the health department for this. Now, I was angry at first because I felt like, you know, I have literally dedicated my life and my career to inspiring people to garden, not just for the joy of gardening and for their mental health and for the good of the world and nature, but literally to remove myself and my family from the chemical and toxic exposures that are in grocery store products. This has been a really big driving force for me, and it's been something that's really inspired me. It's also money-saving when you're starting from seed, and gardening is all the good things that I'm sure you already know if you're listening to this podcast. I couldn't believe someone would take time out of their workday to report me when there are such egregious things happening in our country that actually are directly causing cancer on mass levels in many ways. And as I shared this story online, people were messaging me and commenting in in my defense and in my support, also astounded. And I've kind of been sharing more about my journey with removing myself from just toxic systems and ways that I'm living in Southern California, like in the suburbs. I never thought this would be my life. I thought I would be like raising my kids on a farm on acreage and I'm on less than a quarter of an acre. But I think that's been the beauty is being in this place where I am so passionate about showing you how to live differently. So I want to address four main ways that I have started to change what I would consider just sort of like an everyday common suburban lifestyle into into being one that's more of like a suburban homesteader. I don't love the term homesteader because it feels like I need to be like homeschooling my kids, going off the grid, wearing linen, like very extreme. And while I'm certainly inspired by all of those ideals and some of those things, who knows, maybe eventually, but right now I live like a very vanilla-ish basic life. I'm just choosing to do the best that I can each day for myself and my family with the time that I have, the knowledge that I have. So, and that's growing all the time. So we'll see. But I just wanted to address it for anyone that's heading into 2024 that has dreams of taking their passion for gardening or their interest in gardening sort of to the next level and upgrading their life in general to be more holistic, more by hand, more from scratch. Then I want to talk through it. So obviously, Gardening is number one for me. I feel like it is such a beautiful co-creation with nature and it's also incredibly beneficial for your family and it's so possible. And my mission with this podcast is to make gardening cool again, to bring it into the cultural fold again and to make it something that people truly are inspired to do like right now in their lives, not waiting. I always was like, oh, like when I'm a grandma and I'm retired, I'm going to start gardening. No, like this is something to be doing now, be doing it with your kids. This is a lifestyle upgrade that I feel like really enhances everyone's lives. 
And I want to take a second to plug a free workshop that I'm having in a couple weeks. It's on January 6th, but it is all about the seven steps to take to set you up for this spring. So I'll be talking more about that, but you guys know I have so much content here. Um, Getting the garden set up and going is like number one for me. And when anyone's considering, like when anyone's bought a big amount of land and they really want to go all in on homesteading, I get this, I get asked questions like this a lot, like where do I start? Um, This whole list is kind of a where do you start? And what you're going to consider is sort of the ROI, like what what's the fastest return on my investment going to be for the steps that I take and the time that I invest? So for me, we moved into the house we live in now um, three, almost four years ago, and we actually built a temporary garden and I gardened in ground. I built actually berms that sit above the soil because the soil was so, so bad because this botched construction job, basically they buried a bunch of roadbed. I had to build like beds without the wood, A, because it was 2020 and there was like a lumber shortage slash it was wildly expensive and we weren't exactly sure what we wanted to do. We couldn't, we didn't want to like spring on hiring a contractor and building everything out when the world was ending basically. So I built version one of the garden to get me through the first like two years of gardening here. And then we invested our time and energy in other ways. So for us, we had just moved in. We had literally gotten rid of all of our furniture. We needed to furnish our home. We were hunkering down because it was 2020 and like doing other things. We were buying meat in bulk at the time. And I had two really, really little kids. They were um, like aged two and a half and like eight months at the time. So other priorities happening. We were doing some other landscaping and some other updates to the house. But everything you want to do, basically, I recommend you do a huge list, like a big brain dump list, and then you start to prioritize, you know, which is most important to you and then which can you afford to do right now and will last you a significant amount of time or be like the forever solution. But there are many things that can be temporary solutions or there are, you know, multiple steps you can take that are like good enough until you get where you're going. And we'll dig into that. So The garden for me, I just had to be gardening. I had pots, I had grow bags, I had one like U-shaped bed and then these berms on top of the soil that totally looked like graves, Um, but it worked. And so it actually really challenged me, it pushed me. I was able to grow much more than I thought I'd be able to. And it was still a really beautiful time like in my life and in the garden. And this square footage of the space similar to what I grow in now, it's under 500 square feet. So anyone that doesn't have a lot of space, I mean, we're not talking homestead, you know, thinking we're like living out on 100 acres in Tennessee or something. This is a small amount of space, but still able to start replacing certain crops from the, you know, from the grocery store and really honing in on what we eat and how much we consume. So The first year you're really getting started with gardening is a great year to explore what you like to grow, honing your instincts, how much do you eat, how often are you cooking with what you grow, Um, what do you just really not want to buy at the grocery store, can you grow it, are there pests, are there diseases, like you're learning so much in the beginning stages with the garden, but these are all things to be writing down, um, taking note of, and then each season you are 
really polishing the approach. The other side of the gardening coin is the cooking and preserving. So some hard lessons I've learned is if you don't have a plan for preservation, you could have a ton of what you've grown go to waste. So for example, onions and garlic, they need to be cured and stored properly. Same with like potatoes and carrots. If you're going to grow a bunch, you absolutely need a storage plan so that your crop doesn't end up rotting and going to waste. I mean, onions specifically, they're going to be in the ground for a long time. And if you have a limited amount of space, you want to make sure those onions fully develop. I have a hard time with onions because often they bolt and then the bulbs will be immature and I have to pull them before they're ready. But this past year, we grew enough to replace our entire grocery store haul of onions for the year and half of them rotted because we had them in the garage and it was hot and it's humid here, even in the garage. We don't have basements in Southern California. That's not a thing. So I need to build something so that I can preserve my onions And then similarly, like with tomatoes, coming up with a system for what you're doing as you're harvesting. Are you going to throw everything into the freezer? Are you immediately going to blend it up and freeze it? Are you going to go straight into canning mode? Are you eating it ad hoc as you pick it? The first couple years are exploratory for this. You can give yourself like the gist of an idea, but my recommendation is as soon as you're done planning out what you're going to grow, start to plan out how you're actually going to preserve it and put it to use. And if you need storage or processing or and skills really to, to take that, to be a good steward of your garden essentially all the way through. So that's number one in sort of pursuing more of a homesteader journey is the garden. Number two is bulk buying. And so this is sort of, for us, it's less about like this sort of idea of like doomsday prepping and more about cost and time saving as well as knowing, especially even from the garden, like if I have 10 pounds of flour at my house that I'm storing, I need to use it. But the cost is really there and also you can control the quality a lot better. So we only will buy organic flour from like wheat berries and whatnot. Um, Nothing that's been enriched or fortified because that has folic acid sprayed on it. Like we are buying flour in bulk now and I am baking all of our bread from scratch Um, as well as trying to make all of our pasta from scratch, obviously any like actual baked goods, like, you know, cakes and whatnot, working on bagels, like trying to truly replace any of those, you know, baked items. I mean, we go through at least, at least I would say two to three loaves of bread a week in our house. Um, And we're a family of five. So lots of sandwiches midday. We usually have toast with breakfast and, Everybody just eats a bunch of bread if it's available. Um, So we buy flour in bulk and it's been incredible. Sourdough, obviously, you know, that's the fermentation process. That's the best way that you can really get like healthy bread products into your system because of the fermentation. And so that's the goal with flour. Um, The other two areas in terms of buying in bulk, 
that I've been playing with and that I think you should look into are meat and dairy. So for meat, we have done multiple things. I've ordered um, like from a direct meat company, Ballerina Farm. My girlfriend Hannah owns Ballerina Farm and we have been subscribers of theirs since like before she had 8 million. She's famous literally now. Um, it's she's it's one of those like I knew you when lovely lovely family. Um, so we've gotten meat boxes from them and from you know other farms, and then we've also gone like the Costco route where we're buying a bunch of meat there. So we at the beginning of the week now have a system where we are planning our food based on what we have in the freezer, and then we are prepping things. So we have a smoker, a barbecue, and then obviously like the oven and all of that. And we're working on making one or two whole chickens a week because we actually go through that much meat. So we just did one rotisserie. Our barbecue has a rotisserie function, one rotisserie chicken. And that gave us one dinner of like chicken for everyone, you know, with sides and everything, just like yummy rotisserie chicken. I used the innards, um, actually blended them, like blend the liver, freeze it. I'm going to put it in a bunch of ground beef and hide it in lasagna soon, which my family will never know about, but is packed with nutrients. Then I used the bones to make bone broth. And it's like that yummy, fatty, super incredible bone broth with a bunch of veggies and herbs from the garden. I got like two, four, six, eight, 10, 12, probably 13 cups of bone broth from one small, like, five pound rotisserie chicken. And then I had enough chicken to do another dish of like sort of chicken fettuccine for the family. And we have been like snacking on it and feeding it to the baby and stuff like that. So this is how you start to think about really saving money and time and energy and using every bit of what you have. And it just makes you feel so good and confident and incredible. So Figuring the meat component out is really huge. Our goal will be to get um, a deep freezer and be able to get wild game, potentially go in on a quarter or a half of a cow and start really going that route. Um, uh, when I was growing up, we ate a lot of venison and elk. And so getting back to that for the family, I'm really, really looking forward to. Um, fish as well. We're trying to work fish into the diet more. We're big fishing fans. We like to go fishing, deep sea fishing. I love fly fishing, though I've only done it once. That's not realistic for us at this season of life. But figuring out a bulk fish situation, our kids are pretty good about eating fish as well. So I think we need to work that into our diets like way, way, way more. But again, it's all baby steps. Um, and then dairy, uh, something we do, obviously you can go to Costco and buy like the ginormous block of Tillamook and slice it or shred it yourself, which I highly recommend. Um, but they do also have sort of like direct to consumer cheese and dairy situations. Um, in California, raw milk is sold at the grocery store, um, but that's not common everywhere. So I would look for small farms. I think you can even search it online um, and there's usually like a directory in the U.S. based on where it's legal to, I don't know, buy, sell raw dairy. My godmother, Auntie Pammy, used to have a raw milk source. And it was just like a farmer down the road who had a couple cows. And it was very honor system. He'd like put a cooler out with milk and kind of knew his customers. And it was a little bit like on the down low. 
And that is exactly like the coolest thing that I wish everyone could find in their neighborhood. So yeah, I've looked for dairies in Southern California that could provide something like this and have not found anything. So TBD on that. Okay, so that's kind of where we are with bulk buying. Obviously, you guys are aware, like I said, of Costco. Um, If you're not someone who can grow all of the produce that you want to replace the grocery store, I would highly recommend trying to buy in bulk from providers like at your farmer's market or at local farms and seeing if they'll give you a discount if you do buy in bulk. So for example, if you have a hard time growing tomatoes or you just don't want to, you could still go get a bunch of flats of tomatoes and see if a farm would give you more of a wholesale discount. And then you can still go home and can those and preserve them and have a higher quality like marinara, enchilada, salsa situation going on, or obviously try and save some money. I mean, anything's going to taste better than a tomato from the grocery store. So I highly recommend that. But I think about this in terms of any type of bulk product. Just because you're not growing yourself doesn't mean you can still, it doesn't mean you have to remove yourself from the practice of, you know, prepping everything and canning things and making applesauce and all of that. So There are a lot of ways to work with farms and even gardeners to use their excess or their bulk or anything along those lines. Okay, so next up, I want to talk about water. Here in the burbs slash the city, um, our water is super full of all kinds of toxins and chemicals. You can smell the chlorine. It's actually sort of shocking and jarring for people who live like on a well system in the country and they come over and the water smells like a swimming pool. Um, That among many other gross things are in our water and you don't want that on your body or in your body. So there are a lot of options when we're talking about water. For me, the goal is to get more alkalinity and more minerals back in the water. So the issue with filtering your water is you're taking all the bad stuff out as much of it as you can, but you're also taking all the good stuff out. And it's just like with anything like antibiotics, you're killing a bad bacteria, but you're also killing good bacteria that's in your gut. So I highly recommend you re-alkalize your water, even with like a pinch of salt and a squeeze of lime or lemon, or you buy alkaline water at like a local water resource or have it delivered from a company that's sourcing water from, you know, like the foothills or something like that. But you can also do a couple things. You can get a whole house filtration system, which is on my list. And this is an example of something where it's fairly expensive or it's not, it's not like a no-brainer. My husband and I always talk about purchases in terms of like is it something you have to run by your spouse or is it affordable enough that you can just like make your own decision? Obviously, we all have our own amounts um, and thresholds for that, but this crosses over into like, okay, I need husband buy-in. We're like moving into the four figures. It's like over, you know, thousands of dollars for a whole house water filtration system. But this would help us remove all the gunk from any exposure. So we could drink the tap water, we could bathe in it. It's not necessarily going to have the good stuff in it, but it's not going to have the bad stuff. And so that is the goal. They also do make whole house filtration systems that do like remineralize the water and that's the holy grail. So that's on our list. But in terms of my little suburban homestead, we're not quite there yet. What we are doing is 
obviously using, um, you know, like a Brita style water filter. I've actually looked into getting the alkaline water delivered with like one of those jugs that you're like lifting up and over. I think that would work well for our children too. And then they also make um, like on Amazon, these little like teardrop shape. They kind of like hang down on a chain, but they're these little filters you can put um, below the faucets so that it's filtering out for your children's bath or for you to wash your face or take a shower or anything like that. So they have like these localized filters that you can put on faucets and that is a good option. And then for raised beds, actually, um, you can use an RV water filter and just attach it where the hose bib attaches. In each of, I mean, it's, as I'm saying it, I'm just like, it's so amazing. Each of my raised beds has its own irrigation system in it. Like it, it was, it was piped in underground. So the, there's like a hose bib popping out of each bed and I, put my RV filter on there and then attach my soaker hoses to the other end of it. So this has been an incredible solution. It also will help increase the lifespan and durability of your irrigation because you're getting some of that gunk out and it's obviously giving your plants a higher water quality. Um, And in this sense, really removing again, any toxins and helping the plants really thrive. So 10 out of 10 recommend these RV filters. I can put a link in the show notes for you. Um, And these have been really special for us. So, okay, moving on to number four is herbalism. And I'm going to tread lightly here because I'm sort of a new kitchen herbalist. I've dabbled, you know, you're like growing your own tea herbs and making salves and whatnot, doing a little bit of foraging. But I hate giving advice when someone's like, oh, this is my ailment. What herbs? You know, I'm not at that level yet. I'm just trying to increase the amount of herbs that the family takes because the beauty of using herbs, working with herbs, is that they're gently sort of fortifying you and strengthening you and helping your body in a way that you need it. So as like a preventative measure is really when an herbalism practice is at its best It can also be prescriptive, obviously. It can work in tandem with Western medicine, which is what we do. I'm not like, I'm not not giving my kids ever Tylenol, but am I putting egg whites on their feet under their socks first? Yes, absolutely. Um, And sort of practicing some of that holistic, I should say maybe some holistic approaches. But herbalism, since this is a gardening podcast, is really where we're going to start there. Um, And what I've kind of done is I think about what most commonly ails my family. So little kids, we're talking about congestion, runny nose, wet coughs, dry coughs, colds, flus, fevers, um, anxiety, sleeplessness, um, kind of like the blues, things like that, headaches, um, body aches, cuts, scrapes. So that's where I started, which is like, what am I most commonly thinking like, how do I help my kids, my husband, myself, and going from there. So some things I grow, um, catmint, sage, thyme, oregano, some of these more common than others. These are all really, really great for doing, obviously cooking with, but also like herbal steams when you just need to like clear some gunk out. And they're also really great for tea. Um, 
I love to have aloe vera on hand. I grow calendula and make a beautiful, I made this calendula and chamomile salve um, where it's like, we kind of call it hippie neosporin and you can put it on any cut or scrape and it heals it up really quickly. There's absolutely no sting or burn. If you get a burn, the calendula salve is really good for it. But I have it in what we call the healing basket. And my kids know this is sort of a Waldorf thing. The healing basket is in our guest bathroom and it has my calendula salve, band-aids, some essential oils, some arnica gel, some aloe in it, just anything you might need for like a basic, you know, fell down, scrape your knee, bonked type of a situation. And the kids, it empowers them to sort of seek out remedying themselves and getting to know themselves and what they need. But um, that's something I always have on hand. And then I'm really working on even more sophisticated like herbal remedies essentially. So recently forged some mullein off my parents' property and made an oxymol. And this, it's romanticized in my mind for some reason because I just think the beauty of going into nature recognizing a plant that has healing properties or some sort of nutrients for you and then coming home with it and being able to make use of it for the benefit of your family, to me is like the most beautiful, romantic, incredible skill and thing to have happen. Um, So I just like doing it. So brought home this mullein, which kind of looks like lamb's ear. It's like a fuzzy leaf, really, really good for respiratory issues. One of my children, when they get sick, usually it lands in their lungs. They're sort of prone to pneumonia and just really wet coughs. It just always goes in that direction. So the mullein's really good for respiratory issues just like that. So I made an oxymol, which is apple cider vinegar and the mullein and some honey. And then you shake it every couple of days. You leave it in the cabinet for like six weeks and then you strain it out and put it in a canister like with an eyedropper. And then the kids can take some of it as like a, a tincture oxymol. And it's it's sort of uh, sort of like a sour, sweet, um, what are those candies called? You know what I'm thinking of. First they're sour, then there's Sour Patch Kids. It's kind of that vibe, but it's easier for the kids to take and um, very gentle for them and really helpful. So like at first signs of a cough or of a, an illness going in that direction, I would start giving them this mullein oxymol. So there are a lot of things like that. There are so many beautiful herbalism resources. Um, The Herbal Academy comes to mind. I've done some stuff with them. Really, really lovely. They have like courses and you can make all sorts of beauty products and skincare from like hair gel to dry shampoo and body oil and makeup. These are like extras as you're starting to go down your homesteading journey. And people are so into like tallow right now for face balm, which is fantastic. I can attest to it. These are the things that you can be making at home, um, whether just for your personal use or gifting or selling eventually, that I feel like really you can add them to the list. So if not now, maybe someday, but highly recommend getting sort of a, a basic kitchen herbalism practice under your belt involving the family in it and using that to help sort of just keep you healthy. And I think really, really the beauty of some of this, but the herbalism is what brought it to mind, is being able to take a pause and question, what is going on with me? 
or my kids. Um, is this an actual illness? Is this, you know, is there an underlying issue, psychological, physiological, or what have you? Like, is there sort of a general dis-ease? Like, you know, not disease, but like, you know, is someone just not feeling well emotionally because something happened for the day or do they really have a tummy ache? Do we give them mint tea, something very gentle and kind of talk through it? Maybe someone just needs extra rest. Why are we getting sick all the time? Um, or, you know, learning what you need so that you're not getting sick all the time and developing some rituals and some beautiful rhythms around taking care of ourselves and sort of being in commune with your greater health instead of waiting for something to break, waiting to get sick, going to the doctor, blindly listening to what they say and taking action on that. It really makes you the powerful person in the equation that can discern what's going on and how to intervene. I just feel like it's taking so much of that power and independence back. And so getting to know yourself and what's going on really, really with you and taking that pause to say, hmm, I'm not feeling well. What do I really need right now? Do I need to take a nap instead of have a second espresso shot today? <laughs> or, you know, am I coming down with something? Why am I having body aches? Am I, is there like a magnesium deficiency going on? Do I need to uptake? You know, I've had thyroid issues my whole life. So I started taking, um, liver supplements and some products have iodine in them and it has changed my life. And that's a story for another day because I don't want to give medical advice on that. But these are the things where we start getting to the core issues and boosting our bodies in the right direction. So I hope this has been helpful and inspiring. That's kind of where I'll leave you in terms of suburban homesteader, where to start these four buckets, sort of gardening slash preservation, bulk buying, getting your water dialed in, and then practicing some herbalism. And like I said, do not forget to sign up for my gardening workshop in a couple weeks. There's a link in the show notes for that. I hope you guys will be there. And listen, if you're loving this type of content, please let me know. I would love if you left a review. You can DM me on Instagram. Definitely subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, and yeah, I'll catch you on the next one. I'm so, so grateful for you and I hope you have a beautiful day. I hope this episode has been balm for the soul and inspiration for the heart. I would love if you left a review to let me know your thoughts or anything you're interested in learning. And I'm so grateful that you found this space. For more information on any techniques, recipes, or ideas mentioned, visit us at baileyvantassel.com slash podcast.